Ah, the beautiful thunder of little feet. We missed that last week. Scripture, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you that we have the opportunity to look into the Bible and see exactly who you are and what you want from us. And Father, what you give us. And Lord, as we examine these passages yet again, we pray that you help us to understand love, that you help us to be able to love as you love, with the same fervor and desire that you love us, so much that you gave us your son, so that we may have eternal life. Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of your spirit, and bring glory unto you, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. So I wanted to spend at least one more week on this passage. I think this is the third week we've been on verses 8 through 10. So there's so much in it. I could spend longer, but we are going to move on after this week and this week's message on this passage. Paul has a great desire for us to understand love and to truly understand what true love is. And to be able to sear that in our hearts and minds because after all, God is love and if we can understand love, then we can understand God. Now the problem we have with that is we are finite creatures with minds that are not God's minds. And so we have a very difficult time of fully understanding love and fully understanding God. But Paul spends a great deal of time on it in these passages. And he shows us that there is a relationship between love and the law. And so we're going to look today of, as the title implies, what that relationship is and what interaction there is. You remember Jesus broke down all the commandments to two. Remember what those were. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So again, he took all of the law and he turned it over into love. And then here we have Paul telling us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that fulfills that law. So the question remains to us is, what is the interaction between love and law, and how does it work itself out? And what does it look like? So we're going to look at the law and the law as being the Ten Commandments. But I'm also going to propose to you that it works itself out in the law that we see governments pass and governments introduce as well. I will submit to you that it is applicable in that realm as well. Some may say that the fact that you may or may not obey the speed limit has nothing to do with how much you love someone. I'm going to tell you that may not very well be the case. 
And that may be a surprising thought to some of us. Or, sometimes we obey the law just out of a sense of obligation or duty. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we obey the law because we don't want to go to jail, right? We have a fear or innate fear in us that encourages us to obey the law. Yet Paul tells us that loving fulfills or allows us to obey that law. And as I said, the general gist of Paul's message to the Romans was the Ten Commandments, but I want us to expand on that a little bit and ask how it can apply to the civil and or criminal laws that uh, you and I must abide by each and every day. And that is my goal, to tie all these passages together and make a connection between the love and the law, hopefully in a way that we can understand it a little bit better. So let's start by looking at these passages in chapter 13, specifically verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So Paul begins by telling us, owe no one anything except to love each other. Why doesn't he just stop there? Why does he have to go on and say, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law? You've got to understand who the readers were, right? Most of the readers of Paul's book to the Romans were Jews. The greatest thing other than God in a Jew's life was the law. The law. They cherished the law. Every part of their life, every day, was centered around doing everything that they're supposed to do or that God has commanded them to do. It was a large checklist, and they made sure, to the best of their ability, that they did it. And they gave a lot of attention to the law. So if Paul would have just said, oh, no one anything, nothing else matters is basically what Paul's saying. Nothing else matters except for love. Then you're going to have a Jewish uprising say, hey, what about the law? What about the law that we have tried to obey? In their minds, they did obey. Our entire lives, it's been handed down from Moses to generation to generation to generation. What about the law? That was going to be a big question that they they would have. And Paul was saying, love above all things. In fact, love is so great that it fulfills the law. And I'm quite certain upon reading that, their mind was just blown. Because the connection was not made. They were so caught up in a checklist of, I will do this, I won't do that, that this idea of love became foreign to them. And I'm quite certain they're like, huh? What's this guy talking about? I mean, we have problems with this. Think of what the Jews or the difficulties that they would have had at that time with this notion that love fulfills the law. So Paul is going to elaborate on that to some extent. And this is his first reference to the love and the law in, or to love and the law in verse 8. We're going to see him do it again in 9. We're going to see him do it again in 10. Here is 9. For the commandments, 
You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the law, the commandments, and we see this idea or notion of loving each other, loving your neighbor. Now he only quotes four commandments, but he throws them all in there with the catch-all and any other commandment. So we got those four and anything else. Any other commandment is fulfilled by loving your neighbor as yourself. And we spent last week talking about what loving your neighbor as yourself means. The fact that we all have a desire to be happy. And it is in that desire for happiness, for joy, and it's that search that demonstrates our love for ourselves. But in that pursuit of happiness, there is one entity or person that fulfills that, and only one, and that is God. That is God. So he is the one that fulfills that desire for happiness and joy. And we see it. We see that innate desire and search for happiness and joy. It plays itself out in so many different ways throughout the world every day, right? Whatever it's going to be, whether it's, it, it, it's an attraction, uh, some sort of physical attraction to someone or your wife or your husband, or whether it's I'm going to buy this or I'm going to do this or do that, it is a never-ending search for happiness, but I will tell you that in the end, they're all disappointing, Once you get that, you'll realize that it ain't that that you're going to find happiness and joy. As I said last week, that desire to find and seek happiness and joy is put within us for a reason. Because God wants us to focus on the Creator. And it is in the Creator that we find that happiness and joy. But we get distracted by the creation. And we think that the creation is where we find the happiness and joy. And so we end up chasing our tail and never finding it. So we saw that by loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is that we encourage and help our neighbors, our friends, everyone else around us to seek happiness and joy in Christ Jesus. That's how we are to love them as we love ourselves. When we find the happiness and joy that satisfies, that is eternal, the happiness and joy that's only found in Christ Jesus, then we in turn help others find that happiness and joy in Christ Jesus. So this is the second. And here we have the third, verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. The third connection. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it is fulfilling the law. Now, Paul phrases this in a negative, right? Love does no wrong. Instead of love is encouraging. He could have said love is encouraging. That would have been a positive reference. But yet he makes the negative reference in that it does no wrong. And I believe that he chose the negative for the same reason that he chose these commandments. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. Don't do wrong to a neighbor. I believe it was just a natural flow of the way he was writing. 
We see throughout the Bible that there are many times when they are positive in nature, that you are supposed to help, you're supposed to show kindness, you're supposed to give your coat to someone who is mean to you. Uh, we, we have many, many instances of positive things. I don't think that we should read too much into this fact that it is a negative and that he's telling us to refrain from doing wrong or doing bad things to our neighbors. The basic premise to all of 8, 9, and 10 is that where there is perfect love, there is no need for law. I'll repeat that. The basic premise of 8, 9, and 10 and everything that Paul's trying to tell us is where there is perfect love, there is no need for law of any sort, of any kind. Where there is perfect love, there is no need for not only the commandments of God, but also the laws of men. There's a lot of talk about freedoms and liberties these days. Turn on the news, five seconds, you'll hear about it, you'll see it. Demonstrations, so on and so forth. If you want freedom and liberty, love perfectly. It's the only way you're going to get it. It's the only way we can truly be free. It's the only way we can truly be liberated is to love perfectly. And I will tell you that we don't do that, so we can't be. Let's rewind everything for a bit. Let's go all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the beginning. Adam of Eve, Adam and Eve, we know, ate of the fruit. They sinned, they fell. Mankind fell, and mankind fell hard. And I'm not going to take a deep dive into the love of Adam and Eve and the condition of their heart, but I will tell you that Adam and Eve, except for Christ Jesus, loved as close to perfect as we can ever experience on this earth. After the fall and after Adam and Eve, everything took a nosedive. Everything got derailed. Things went downhill quickly after Adam and Eve. Cain murdered Abel. And things continue to digress. They digressed to the point that God couldn't even stand striving with mankind any longer. So what did he do? Wiped them out. Wiped them out. He found Noah and his family and he saved them and destroyed everybody else. You think the world is bad today? It's not so bad that God can't continue to strive with us. Now when that will end, I can't answer. But it's not as bad today as it was then. I will assure you of that. At that time there was virtually no godly love in the world. It did not exist. Mankind did not and could not love his neighbor as himself. Remember, there was no law at that time, folks. Right? This was pre-Moses. This was pre-Ten Commandments. There was no law at that time. After Noah, then God chose Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. He said, I will be your God. You will be my people. 
Your numbers will be as many as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And he chose Abraham's descendants as his people. Then it wasn't for another, I believe it was 430 years after that, that along came the law. That along came the Ten Commandments. And from Abraham to Noah, even though there was no law, people were horrible at their core. Love was rare and godly love was even more rare. So then God gave the law to Moses and his people. You say, why? There's a lot of different reasons, but I'm going to pursue one this morning. Why did he decide to give the law to Moses and the Jews? And we have a little insight from Paul in Galatians 3, verse 4. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by faith. The law was our guardian. Some versions call it schoolmaster. I actually am rather fond to ESV's, ESV's guardian. What do guardians do? Watch over. Guardians protect, right? They protect. So if the law was our guardian, what is the law protecting us from? Each other. The law is protecting us from each other. The deep-seated, vile ugliness that was within the hearts of those at that time. The law protected them from each other by keeping them from falling into oblivion just as happened at the time of Noah. So he sees what's going on, right? So he, after Adam and Eve, they're kind of turned loose to their own devices. Things go downhill quickly. He has to destroy everybody. He saves Noah and his family. And yeah, we still got problems. Mankind is utterly depraved and they're still continuing this downhill slide after Noah with Abraham and then lo and behold he's like I'm going to give you a law your hearts are darkened but I'm going to give you something so maybe just maybe you can stop this downward spiral that you have mankind was terrible at loving but very good at lists, right? Lists are easy. Always have been, always will be. Even as a Christian, a list is easy. If I've got a list that I can check this off every day, then I'm good to go. But if it requires something internal, that's a different story. If I've got to change an attitude, I can do it, right? I can make myself do it and still be aggravated, ugly, and mean on the inside. But if I'm going to do it and be loving and happy and kind, that's a whole new ball game. That requires something else. So he gives the law in order to protect mankind from debasing themselves even further. So they have this set of don'ts, or thou shalt nots. 
And we know they couldn't keep them perfectly, but they did a good enough job so they weren't out just creating chaos all the time and destroying themselves in that process. With no law and no ability to love, what did you have? Sodom and Gomorrah. With no law and no ability to love in a godly way, Sodom and Gomorrah was the poster child. Not only did the law save them from each other, but the law also demonstrated the depths of depravity because, as I said so many times, it serves as a mirror, right? If, if, if you're honest with yourself, and we take Christ's work in Matthew 5 when he says, you say you don't murder, if, if you hate your brother, then you've created murder in your heart, and that's just as bad. So while the law you know, keeps us and keeps chaos in check, it also helps us to reflect on how utterly depraved we are as people. So the law protected us until when? Until Christ came. Until Christ came. It was a guardian until Christ came. Christ came as perfect love. Christ came as perfect love. He is God and God is love. But he came as perfect love. And I think it's important to understand that Christ did not keep God's commandments in the same way that we attempt to keep God's commandments. I'll repeat it. Christ did not keep God's commandments in the same way that we attempt to keep God's commandments or in the same way that those at the time of the disciples and prior to kept God's commandments. They kept them as a checklist. They kept them as a checklist. Even though inside they didn't like doing it. When they kept God's commandments, God, it was in their minds they were thinking, God's keeping me from enjoying life. Right? That's what an unbeliever believes whenever they look at Christianity and see, see what we're supposed to do as Christians. They think, well, God's keeping me from having fun. God's keeping me from enjoying life the way that I want to enjoy life. Jesus did not keep the commandments in that way. He was able to keep them perfectly because he loved perfectly. He was able to keep the commandments of the Father perfectly because he loved perfectly. So Christ kept the commands perfectly and then something else happened. There was a new covenant. New covenant came. We see this prophesied to in Jeremiah 31, 33. A new agreement. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, that I will put my law where? Within them. And I will write it where? On their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This passage is critical to understanding what Paul's talking about in Romans 13. This is the new covenant that was celebrated at the Last Supper with Christ and his disciples. And then we had Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And where does he live? Within us. 
The heart of stone is taken out and what is replaces it with what? A heart of flesh. A heart that's able to love in a godly way. The heart of stone that they had at the time of Noah, it was impossible to love in a godly way. They did not have the ability to do so. Then the law had to come to save them, basically. So prior to Christ, the Jews obeyed the commands, much like we obey the laws of man. Out of a sense of duty or obligation or even fear. However, when that heart of flesh replaces that heart of stone, we keep his commands out of love. We do what he wants us to do because we love like he loves. We have been given hearts that enable us to love godly. To love in a godly way. Romans 7, 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So Paul tells us that we've died to the law. Why did we die to the law? Because Christ kept the law. Matthew 5, 17 It's a little bit different, though. Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what of our place with the law, and how does that interact now? We have new hearts, so we don't have to worry about it, right? We shouldn't have to worry about it. If Christ fulfilled it and we are dead to it, that means we don't have to keep it, right? No. That's not what that means. I mean, that would be right in a theoretical sense, but it's not right in reality. In reality, or in in theory, we should not have to keep the law out of a sense of duty, obligation, or fear. We have a new heart. We should love like God loves and Christ loved us and keep the law out of that. If we love in a godly way and we love everyone as God loves us, then the law is kept automatically. There's no thinking about it. There's no should I do this or should I not do that? That that thought never comes into your mind. The best example I can give you is those of you that have children and the love, and it's not perfect godly love. I will be the first to admit that, but but it's an easy equation for me because when you have a child, do do you think about stealing from them? The thought never enters your mind. Why does that thought never enter your mind? Because you love them right? You want what's best for them. You want to give them things. Those thoughts of breaking a commandment with your child never comes into your mind because of the love that is in your heart. And it's the same way with keeping God's commandments. So whenever you love God with godly love and love each other with godly love, there is no battle about should I try to rip them off, right? Should I try to steal from them? Should I try to take them? Should I try to do bad things? It's not a battle because you love them. It's an easy decision. Love changes motivations and desires. Love changes motivations and desires. 
when we love in a godly way, it just, the desire to do harm or damage never enters our mind. So here we are, Christians, with new hearts from God. God himself actually resides within the hearts of believers. So do we need the Ten Commandments? Do we need civil or criminal laws? If we just put all the Christians on an island, would everything be glorious and wonderful because we have new hearts and the Spirit resides in us? Nah. Not going to work. Why not? Should, right? We've been given a heart of flesh. Christ obeyed the law perfectly, fulfilled it, so theoretically we should be able to live on an island together in perfect harmony and love fully and need no laws. It's not the case. We don't fully experience perfect love in this life, folks. We don't exhibit perfect love in this life because of the sin that continues to reside within us even after the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts. When Paul says we are being taken from one degree of glory to another, I believe what that looks like in reality is that is God teaching us to love more godly. Because whenever we figure out how to love more godly and love each other more godly, then we will continually get better at keeping the commandments and not disobeying God. John Piper is right when he says the easiest way to kill sin is to love something else more. And if we can love God with a godly love, then sin is no longer a problem in our lives. But as I just said, it won't fully happen on this side. So until that time, we still need a law, don't we? We still need a law. We still need those commandments saying, look, you don't love perfectly, Scott, so I've got to a wealth of commandments here that you need to follow and obey. Because if I leave you to your own devices, probably bad things are going to happen. We can't be trusted. That's the sad thing in this situation. We can't be trusted. Even as Christians, we still harbor greed and pride and lust. We still take advantage of others. I submit to you that government disability and government social security would not exist in the form of a government entity if we loved purely. Would not. Because if we loved in a godly way, we would make sure that we helped and picked each other up whenever we got to a point where we couldn't provide for our families or when we get too old to be able to provide for our families. We wouldn't need those types of things. But because we can't be trusted to do that, then the government has to intervene and basically force our hands.
And you say, well, there are those that abuse it. Sure there are. That just shows the lack of love from everybody, right? It shows our lack of love from being able to trust and their lack of love from being truthful. It's the old man that still resides within us, that hangs on our back. That, oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? And it is because of him that we don't love purely and perfectly. If we loved perfectly, we would love our passengers and those that are on the roadway with us enough to drive a safe speed that if an accident did happen, it wouldn't hurt them. I hope that that connection was made. I hope that you see that that most of the laws that we abhor and we disdain, that we think restrict our freedom, comes from a lack of ability for us to love each other in a proper way. Because as I said, if we love perfectly, there is no laws that we need either from God or from man. When we get to heaven, there'll be no commandments. Jesus will reign as king, but he's got nothing to do because we will love perfectly. We will never take advantage of each other. We will never put each other at risk. We will always lift each other up and help each other. There'll be no prosecutors. There'll be no judges. There'll be no lawyers. Why? Because there'll be no need. There will be no need because our hearts will be pure and filled with love just like God's. But we ain't there yet. So what are we to do? We still have the law and we still need the law. We don't need the law to be kept for salvation Christ has done that, okay? So never think that I have to do this in order to gain my salvation. That comes through faith in Jesus. But we're still obligated to love each other and to love each other well. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We can only do that by getting to know the one that does it perfectly. We learn by interaction and observation. We can read about it, and that definitely helps us learn, and it helps us to understand who God is. But we learn that perfect love and what it's like by spending time in his word, by spending time with his spirit through prayer, by drawing closer to him to be able to see and understand that perfect love that he has for us. It is only when we do that that then these hearts of flesh that have been placed in our, in our bodies will exhibit that perfect love that God has for us. So that's the key to doing that. It's not as if I can make up my mind that I'm going to love everybody and fulfill the law. That, that can't happen. It's as if, I'm going to draw close to God, admit to the fact that I'm horrible at that, and ask Him to take me there. That's how we get closer to that. That's how we get from one degree of glory to the next. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank You for Your love, that perfect love, that love that 
man, we struggle with. That love that says, everybody is doomed, and yet I'm going to send my son to die in your place. That's love that I long to have. Paul encourages us to have that for everyone. Father, it's not easy, but we pray that it is with your help and with the assistance of your spirit that we can just begin to scratch the surface of what your love looks like and be able to share that with each other and help us to glorify you in that process. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.